Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt, Wednesday, November 15th, 2017, and I am your host, Quentin. Courtney, the other host, she will be on later in the episode to talk really about whatever she wants to talk about because she's the real boss on the podcast. Um, we are we are right in the pure chaos of free agent season. The hot stove is what they call it. Confusion and pure chaos is exactly what I call it. I record these shows. I I labor over recording these shows to figure out what to talk about. Now, during the regular season, it's not that bad. Your teams have games every night. You see what happens, and you give your opinions on it, or what the popular folk call a take, right? But now I'm to the point now where I record a show, and I know whatever I say now, it's going to be wrong in the morning. And as a matter of fact, I'm recording at 8.01 p.m. Eastern Time because I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. By 9 o'clock, half of this stuff is going to be wrong. I can't keep up with it. Like, at this rate, I should have been a meteorologist. They're wrong all the time, right? It's 70, it's 30, it's 70, it's 30. I don't know what happens. But what I really wanted to be, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a trash man when I grew up. Right on the back of the truck, wind in your hair. Everyone loves a man in uniform. And just, I don't know if anything's more freeing than that. But... Instead, I'm going to bumble my way through this podcast because I'm not a trash man and I'm not a meteorologist, even though I once was picked up by a tornado in Tornado Alley. I'm from Southern Illinois. We get some storms there. But before we go into this, you must know that the news is this. If you want your free agent news, anyone could go anywhere. That's all I'm going to tell you right now, right? I wouldn't be surprised if Stephen Hawking, if I wouldn't be surprised if he built the compound on Mars and signed all the best free agents and created a baseball team on Mars. That wouldn't surprise me at this point. If I read an article that said that, because Stephen Hawking's been on about we got to colonize Mars because Earth is going down. If Stephen Hawking signed Giancarlo Stanton tomorrow and they were all flying to Mars, I'd be mad that I didn't try to guess it. Anything can happen. Anything. Like right now, if you Google, just Google MLB free agency, like it's, it's, it's a blender. It's Walmart during back to school time. It, it's nuts. It's a gremlin eating after midnight. That's what MLB free agency is. It's a gremlin eating after midnight. I've Google searched, right? I'm pretty sure JD Martinez has already signed with like 20 teams Right, coming out of the gate, that someone from the Miami Herald published an article that said that Miami and no, 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 hold on, let me rewind. That's what Giancarlo Stanton. Listen to this. <laughs> this all happened in the span of like two days. I started writing these notes two days ago, and two days ago, Miami Herald, someone from the Miami Herald wrote an article that said the Marlins and the Red Sox were in heated, heated conversation about sending Giancarlo to Boston. I mean heated. Like, if you read the article, you would have just thought, like, oh, man, that's a done deal. Like, the Cardinals don't get him. The Dodgers can't make a run at him. Like, we thought he wanted to play out west. Like, holy crap, like, this is going to get good. They're going to come into the GM meetings, and it's going to be serious. Well, then, like, five hours later, I read that um, Giancarlo Stanton doesn't want to go to Boston. 
Right? Okay, so that's cool. And then I read that the Phillies and the Cardinals are also in the running to get Giancarlo Stanton. If you heard Monday's podcast, you would have heard me confidently just more sure of this than I was that I would wake up tomorrow morning and the sky would be blue, that the Phillies and the Cardinals were also in this heated debate. And then I read today that Giancarlo does not want to go to St. Louis and Philadelphia doesn't want him. Because Philadelphia likes their position players. They don't want Giancarlo Stanton. And this whole thing's pretty much the same with Arietta. At one point, he's going to L.A., and then he's going back to Chicago, then the Cardinals, then the Rangers, then the Phillies, and then to the moon. I don't know. I don't know. But we've got... I'm going to start with maybe the most recent top free agent news that I can think of. The story of today, right now for the last hour, is J.D. Martinez. So Scott Boris, who is the best agent when it comes to athletes that ever lived. He's the Michael Jordan of agents. He's the Jesus, right? If you're his client, you walk on water. He's putting J.D. Martinez out there at seven years, $210 million. So I'm going to try to unpack a little bit of this chaos now when it comes to J.D. Martinez. And I'm also going to try to compare him to like a few other big contracts that are out there in baseball. So if we look at J.D. Martinez's numbers, last season, he had 45 home runs, drove in maybe, you know, I'll have to look at how many runs he's driven in. Okay, got it. I went into um, some of our top secret, top-notch data machines that we have here in the Sweet Bee Studios, Greatest Show on Dirt, most technological podcast in the world. Um, which is one of the reasons why we don't have an intro song for intro music because we're really not about that life. We're just all about the numbers. Giancarlo's <laughs> JD Martinez. JD Martinez. I'll cut that out. JD Martinez, 45 home runs, 104 RBIs. In 119 games, and he batted 303. And he's a fresh 30 years old. He turned. For a baseball reference, 30 years old, 86 days ago. Okay, this is good. And if he's wanting to sign a seven-year, $210 million deal, that signs him through the age of 37, okay? And the main question is whether he's worth it or not. So the first comparison, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, would I want to take J.D. Martinez under a seven-year, $210 million deal or assume the fresh 28-year-old just turned 28 about last week Giancarlo Stanton for his 10 years in 285. Giancarlo Stanton is a better outfielder than what J.D. Martinez is. That's fact. Number two, he's also two years younger. Number three, I already said he's a better fielder. He's obviously a better hitter. His close stance I don't know what that means next year if he's going to hit 65. And, of course, there's questions about Giancarlo being healthy. But the question is, let's say, I'm going to ask myself this. Is there any situation where I take J.D. Martinez over Giancarlo Stanton? Because there are owners and baseball people that say that what the Marlins want for Giancarlo Stanton, his contract, and all of this stuff is... Hold on, let me look. Let me get the quote real quick. <laughs> okay, I got it. I got it. This is from this is from Bleacher Report. Okay, 
Here's what we have. Buster only reported Tuesday that some rival execs believe the Miami Marlins prospect asking price is shockingly high. Now, I'll agree with that because the problem... No, actually, I'm going to disagree with that. The prospect asking price is shockingly high for Giancarlo Stanton. So start there. If you're taking Giancarlo Stanton, you're taking 10 years and 200... I've read 285 million. I've read 295 million. Call it 295 million. So you'd be signing the best power hitter in the game who's only 28 to a 10-year deal. Albert Pujols right now, Albert signed a 10-year $240 million deal at the age of 32, which means he signed through his age 41 season. So look at that right now. Here's what I'm thinking. The ain't Albert Pujols, if an aging Albert Pujols who wasn't that great physically his last year in St. Louis with injuries that he has every year and does not keep himself in the same type of shape that what Giancarlo Stanton does. To say that Giancarlo Stanton and what the Marlins want for him is shockingly high and that the asking price is somewhat out of touch with reality, somewhat out of touch with reality. Giancarlo Stanton's asking price is somewhat out of touch with reality. Did you see his home runs last year? Did you see him murder every pitcher with the close stance? When he starts hitting, he's hitting 119 mile an hour singles. He's hitting to he's hitting all over the field, left, center, right. He's going with the ball. He's a prolific hitter right now in Major League Baseball. So to say that everything is shockingly high and somewhat out of touch with reality is in and of itself out of touch with reality. It's a crock of crap when the market already goes for that. Albert Pujols signed 10 years and $240 million at the age of 32 when he was already on a decline. So for rival execs to say, oh, well, that's not worth it. There's already a pre-precedence for it. He's worth it, and that's what the market will pay. If you don't want to pay it, like someone else is going to pay it. And Robinson Cano signed the same type of contract, 10 years, $240 million, and he signed through his age 40 season. So, like, the market will pay for this type of stuff, and it's crazy. It's It makes no sense for people not to pay this money. So, understand that, and then understand this. Under no circumstance do I take J.D. Martinez when Giancarlo Stanton can still be had. I don't. But, well, there's always a but, because it's been two seconds of free agent season. The good thing is you get J.D. Martinez, and you don't have to give up prospects for him. Which, that's going to be huge, right? If you weigh that option, you can get J.D. Martinez and not give up any prospects, which is huge. And J.D. Martinez numbers, this, and I've, I've even said it once before, I think I said it on the last podcast, where I compared J.D. Martinez to Chumbawamba, right? Because he's like a one-hit wonder. But J.D. Martinez really isn't a one-hit number. So if you look at his stats, starting probably from 2014 with his first year in Detroit, his very first year there, he batted 
315 and hit 23 home runs. So 23 home runs, not really, you know, prolific power guy. He slugged 553 with an on base at 358, so not getting a whole lot of walks. Then the next year, cranked out 38 home runs. So now you see a lot of power there with what I'm, I'm not Einstein, but 15 home runs difference. But his batting average dropped to 282. So, okay, so a decline in batting average, but an increase in home runs, and actually slugged a little less. But the very next year, which I really like, is 2016. He goes back down to 22 home runs, but he's back over 300. So you see this pattern with J.D. Martinez, batting average above 300, home runs down. Home runs up, batting average suffers. But in 2017, you get the perfect storm. 303, 45 home runs in 119 games. J.D. Martinez is a guy that's been showing progress since 2014. So to look at his time with Arizona, when he hit, what, uh, 29 home runs in 62 games, these power numbers, if you look at his year-to-year stats from just that batting average and home run correlation, it's almost as if like this thing's been a work in progress the whole entire time where he's been figuring out his batting average and how to hit for power and all that stuff. Then before you know it, in 2017, you get a 30-year-old hitter that's probably perfected his craft, but he's also in this age of power taking advantage of launch angles and a juiced ball. So if you're a team that doesn't want to give up prospects, so for example, if I'm if I'm the St. Louis Cardinals, I probably never go after Giancarlo and make the big push for J.D. Martinez because the Cardinals have prize prospects. If I'm a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers, which Giancarlo Stanton grew up out west and was always a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, if I'm the Dodgers... I'd rather have Giancarlo Stanton, and I'll give up prospects for it, right? And you also might be able to throw Yasiel Puig in there, but if the Marlins don't want him and they just want prospects, don't think you can't send Puig for something because he had a phenomenal season last year and an excellent postseason. And no matter what anyone says about Puig, he's great for the clubhouse. A lot of people think Yasiel Puig is cocky. Sure, he might be, but what he does in a clubhouse, watching him during the postseason – get with the guys on MLB Network and just walk up and start talking to him live in a broadcast, kissing his hitting coach in the dugout. His passion for the game is going to be great for anyone's clubhouse. I think if Giancarlo gets him, people need to make a push for Puig if Stanton and the Dodgers somehow connect on something. The Dodgers have the prospects for it, and the Dodgers can afford to give up the prospects for it because the Dodgers probably have... I mean, is it crazy to say they have the best team in baseball coming into 2018? You're going to get a healthy Corey Seager, a more polished Cody Bellinger. The team's dangerous. Chris Taylor, if Chris Taylor bats out of his mind all year long and you have that bat in your lineup all year, the uh, the Puerto Rican kid, uh, Kike Hernandez, ah, man, out of control. It just all depends with the Dodgers, what, what pitching they're going to be able to keep. You know, if Clayton Kershaw's your number one, I mean, can Rich Hill really be your number two again? I don't know, but that's another topic for another time. And on, on to the next topic. You are listening to The Greatest Show on Dirt. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. The Facebook page has about 514 likes. Uh, I just always want to say thanks to everyone that does that. It's 
as bad as this podcast may sound, I'm having more fun than anyone doing it because I just love to talk baseball. And anyone that likes it and will click on the podcast and just listen to it, thank you for doing that. And uh, we're going to have some guests, I think, pretty soon. I uh, met a guy on Twitter who's got a, at Cubs Live. And he's going to be a guest on Friday night to talk some Cubs baseball. And then along with Courtney, and then we're going to line up some, hopefully, a few more guests as well. But next topic, we're going to talk real quick about the Minnesota Twins. Paul Molitor, Hall of Famer, only the second Hall of Famer, I believe, to win a Coach of the Year award. Took it for the American League. Not surprising, as Minnesota Twins lost 103 games and then came out this year and won... 83, the win differential was 26. He led his team to 26 more wins this year. And it looks like the Twins, they're not they're not backing down. They're all in this year, mainly focused on pitching. They have their eyes on Hugh Darvish as their number one. They're also looking at Jake Arrieta, but then second-tier pitchers like Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn. And I said second tier because I read that in the article. I really don't think that those guys are second tier. Yeah, this isn't the best pitching free agent class you'll get, but even bullpen are what the Twins are looking at. They're going all in. And you know what? I don't blame them. They've got stars like Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton. Maybe those are the only two guys I can name. Hold on. I just remember now the two guys I was thinking of. Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler. They, they've they got studs on this team that can win some games. Their problem is, I mean, they're in the same division as the Indians and also the Sox that are coming up. You know, that doesn't mean anything, actually. Young stars are young stars. This division win, you know, if you have the Twins starting to come up and then the Chicago White Sox, this AL Central is going to be tough and it's going to have a bunch of young studs going in it. And the Twins are making moves. they got a lot of faith in Paul Molitor. Great guy. Did wonders with this team this year. Nobody expected them to go in a wild card game. And actually put up a fight against the New York Yankees. Unfortunately, they didn't stand a chance because the Yankees are so stacked. But it's a big deal. Big deal. Dude, I don't I don't think Hugh Darvish picks the Twins to go to. I think Arietta's going to go wherever he can get the most money at. And Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn, I'm not 100% sure where either one of those guys go. I think Alex Cobb will be a Chicago Cub. The Chicago Cubs are the favorite to pick up Alex Cobb because now Jim Hickey, who was Alex Cobb's pitching coach in Tampa Bay, they're both Joe Madden guys, and Jim Hickey's now the pitching coach for the Chicago Cubs. It's really likely that Alex Cobb goes there, which means that there's no way that probably you Darvish or Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta's not going to go back to Chicago, and you Darvish isn't going to sign with Chicago. I could see you Darvish going to the Angels, but who really knows? But with Arietta. And, you know, kind of just thought of this the other day, and then I read a report on it, that the Phillies, the Philadelphia Phillies could be a front runner for Jake Arrieta. The word is, via Sports Illustrated, is that the snake could be the John Lester of the Phillies and lead this young pitching staff similar to what John Lester did with the Cubs. A veteran presence, teach the boys, you know, how to drink. How to throw some heat. I really wrote that down. Jake Harris is not a drinker. He eats kale, and he's a Pilates guy. He is, for a clubhouse, for the pitching staff, is going to be awesome. He elevated the Cubs pitching staff while he was there. Guys getting in better shape. Guys pitching way better than what you would have expected. And I mean that with, like, I think Jake Arrieta probably had something to do with 
with every pitcher in that dugout. I mean, the success of Kyle Hendricks, you don't think him being around Arietta, a guy that, you know, plays and practices to perfection? Yeah, sure, he had something to do with that. I think Arietta kept Lester strong in 2016. The same with Lackey. And he had a lot to do with Jason Hamill's success when he was a Chicago Cub. I love Arietta for a clubhouse, for a dugout. Yeah, I think he's kind of a douchebag, but I also think he pushes the other pitchers. And I think Philadelphia sees that too, right? He's going to be a father figure with an amazing beard, which he just shaved off, as he always does in the offseason. He's the best in all of baseball to do it, though. And it's really not a bad idea if you're the Phillies. You know, since the beginning of the 2014 season, Arietta's been one of the best in baseball. He's won a Cy Young. He's won a World Series. His postseason record is 5-3 with a 3.08 ERA in his four years with the Cubs. He's won 68 games, pitched to a 273 with a whip of just over one. So I don't know that he's probably not going to get signed for $25 million a year. I think, I think Arietta will get six years because if you give him six years, that's going to put him through his age 37 season, which is is exactly what Zach Granke signed for. And that's what a guy his age is going to get signed for. Teams are going to sign players that can go through that year. And I've said it a few times, Arietta's got a low odometer. He doesn't. He has mechanical problems with his crossfire delivery, which is a true double-edged sword. Jake Arietta's delivery, it is. That crossfire creates a lot of moving parts. It's a delivery that's... Hard to repeat, and you saw that in 2017 with the home run totals that he gave up. It was extremely elevated, and he walked way more guys than what he should have. And his postseason record this postseason was super weird because he had an earned run average of like under two or maybe right at two, but he had a whip of like 1.5 or something crazy. No, 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 no. Jake Arrieta this postseason had an ERA. It just hit me. His earned run average this postseason was a .83. 2-0 with a .83. He even beat the Dodgers. And the game the game that the Cubs beat the Dodgers, Arietta pitched, he had a .83 ERA with like a one and a half whip. He was just walking guys and loading the bases up. That's why he was only going five innings. Jake Arietta can lead a pitching staff, and the Phillies see it. They've got it's their one pitcher, Aaron Nola. They uh he's a young guy, right? And they need to put somebody with him to add some support and also the Phillies their pitching staff it's the, I mean that's the biggest question mark their offensive stuff Reese Hoskins the guys they have coming up offensively they're fine they're in good shape and this is the funny part I just turned my notes on my page this let's call this the greatest show on dirt outtake I put notes on this big paragraph about how the Red Sox were looking at J.D. Martinez and maybe not Giancarlo Stanton, then I put a big, bold letters, damn retraction. Giancarlo does not want to go to Boston or St. Louis. I'm shocked that Giancarlo Stanton wouldn't want to go to St. Louis. He doesn't want to live in St. Louis, Missouri. That's crazy. Because St. Louis is not a fun town probably for any baseball player to live in. But St. Louis is a storied franchise. He'd get a ring there and he'd compete. He'd compete next year. I'm kind of shocked on that. I, I, I'm, maybe I'm not shocked on it. Well, you want to know what this tells us. If Giancarlo Stanton truly doesn't want to go to Boston or St. Louis, then this means he truly wants to be on the West Coast, which that's going to put you at two teams. Hold on. Hold on. I just thought of this right now. 
Could Giancarlo Stanton go to the Angels and play with Mike Trout and keep Mike Trout there? Mike Trout is a free agent at the end of the 2020 season. If they don't put something around him, a big dog with a big name and a big bat, Trout's coming out east and he going to play for Philly. You know, Trout might come out east anyway, but do you think? I'm thinking in my head if Giancarlo could go to the Angels, because right now we already know this. He's, he's going to go out west. This tells me that if he doesn't want to play for the Cardinals and the Red Sox, because any team that's been rumored and that his name's been tied to, those are the two best ones he could go to. But if he's going to go out west, then, I mean, the Marlins and the Dodgers might be forced to make a deal if he doesn't want to go to the Giants, because the Giants are in a rebuilding stage. So I have to think now, does this open it up to being a race between L.A. and Anaheim? To get Giancarlo Stanton. The Dodgers the Dodgers don't need Giancarlo Stanton to be the best team in baseball. And maybe if I'm the Dodgers, I'm hesitant to break up what I have. Especially because I might not want to pull Puig out of the clubhouse that's running so well and where he's thriving in. Puig could come out next year and hit 40 home runs. And by all means, he's the best fielding right fielder. He's the best fielding outfielder in all of baseball. He has a cannon on his arm. He's Bo Jackson out there with the way he throws. You know, he's he's only thing he's got to be to be Bo Jackson is to start breaking baseball bats over his head, which I wish he would do. But the Angels, I wonder if Giancarlo Stanton, he could go to the Angels. I think the Angels could maybe for the Angels don't have the prospects. They don't have anyone to give. That wouldn't work. So stop traffic on that one, because it's not happening at all. But John Carlos going out west. The <laughs> greatest show on dirt. You're listening to it. <laughs> Joy. It looks like MLB will have a pitch clock in 2018. Like it or not, it's probably coming. That is the title of an article on SB Nation Bleed Cubby Blue, written by Al Yellen. Major League Baseball's been concerned at the pace which this game moves for quite some time. They made a one move last season, which would have been the uh, intentional walk rule, meaning that the pitcher didn't have to lob four up to home plate. All the um, excuse me, all the manager had to do was just signal from the dugout for the guy in the batter's box to go ahead and take first base. So the pitcher didn't have to throw these uh, obligatory four pitches to put the guy on in a process to speed up the game. In my opinion, that did two things. It put a band-aid on a stab wound, but B, it also made it to where Gary Sanchez couldn't hit his intentional walk pitch to the warning track and drive in a run. I don't like it. I didn't like it. I th- honestly, it was a waste of time, but this year, at least, you know, the GM meeting started on Monday and this being Wednesday, the talk now is of a pitch clock, which is a great thing. There was... In John Lackey's relief appearance in Game 2, I believe, of the NLCS, when Justin Turner hit the walk-off two-run home run, he took six minutes to throw five pitches. And then there was also a game last year on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. The Boston Red Sox were playing somebody, I don't remember who it was, and Drew Pomerantz, I know, was pitching for the Red Sox, and that game lasted four or five hours. And when I woke up Monday morning, it was just the talk of everything on the internet. I think it was a Red Sox-Tigers game. I don't really know, but there was a lot of talk around the length of that game and really just how long it lasted. 
So to go in a little bit of this article, here's what you have. The average game in 2017 was three hours and five minutes. It's a long time. It's like watching The Godfather or watching, I don't know, Adventures in Babysitting back to back to back because you have a crush on 1980s Elizabeth Shoe. Elizabeth Shoe. Who doesn't? Right? Exactly. That's what I say. So here's what you have today at the owner's meeting. And now this was written by Craig Calcaterra at Hardball Talk today at the owner's meetings down in Florida. MLB Chief Legal Officer Dan Halem told members of the press that the league would like to get a new pace of play agreement with the Players Association done. And that would include a pitch clock in order to have something in place for 2018. Halem said an agreement would have to be reached by early January. I do not like the fact that the players have to approve a rule change in the game to make the game better. You would think that this would be up to like the brains of the game, like maybe the marketing people. Like when do players have a say in like their employee their employer's job of like how the game should be regulated? Like if we decide to shorten or lengthen commercial breaks, are players gonna have a problem with that? Like that sounds like banana land, right? But also what I like is the um, the MLB's chief legal officer also said that reworked inning breaks with split-screen broadcast, not, not unlike what we saw during the postseason, could be a part of pace of play measures as well. Now, I love that idea. It's And it's not even... When a regular inning goes and goes to commercial break, I don't have a problem with that. But when you get into the 7th and 8th inning of a game and you've got platoon hitters coming up and then the manager calling guys from the bullpen every single batter and then you're going to commercial break every minute. I hate that. If Dave Roberts is going to come out and put in Brandon Morrow, then the next batter, put in Pedro Baez, then the next batter, put in Kinley Jansen, and I have to watch four Viagra commercials. I'm losing my mind. That's not fun. But the split screen, if you remember it during the postseason, you would have your on-field action on one half of your big TV, then the other half would be your Viagra commercial. Like, I'm okay with that because I still get the look at Kenley Jansen come from left field to California Love, but you don't get sound with it. I have to hear them sell Viagra and talk about how my night should be a little more romantic. I'm not a huge fan of not having sound on the ball game and sound getting the commercial, but the split screen thing is a phenomenal idea. Now, I am of the belief that if we're getting into the eighth inning and a new pitcher is coming in for every new batter, I don't think there should be a commercial break. There should be a, there should be a commercial break after the end of every full inning. But then again, advertising dollars, they run this shit. Like this whole thing happens because of advertising dollars. You wouldn't have TV unless it was for advertising dollars. Right? So like that's unfortunately, well, I don't know if it's a necessary evil, but right, it has to happen. But I love the split screen idea. Like that would be huge. The pitch clock would be great. I think this pitch clock, they have a pitch clock in the minor leagues that runs 20 seconds. So essentially here, I'm going to read you the rule that is in, I mean, this is in AAA and AA. So if you've ever been to a AAA baseball game, I go to a lot of them for the Charlotte Knights. They're the AAA team for the Chicago White Sox. And I always see the pitch clock 
Here's the rule. Should the pitcher fail to begin his windup or begin the motion to come to the set position in the last 20 seconds of the inning break, the batter is going to start the count with a 1-0 count. Now, should the batter fail to be in the box and alert the pitcher with five or more seconds remaining on the inning break timer, the batter is going to get a strike against him and start with an 0-1 count. So essentially, if the pitcher takes too long, it's going to cost him a ball. If the batter takes too long, it's going to cost him a strike. You know what the crazy thing is with this article that Al Yellen wrote? There's a rule in place already in the books. Rule 8.04 with a time limit. There's a rule that's never enforced, and here's what it says. When the bases are unoccupied, no one's on base. The pitcher needs to deliver the ball to the batter within 12 seconds after he gets that ball back from the catcher. And if the pitcher delays in the game, if the pitcher delays the game and does not deliver it, Within 12 seconds, ball one. That automatically happens and it's not enforced. Okay, so the pitch clock, I like, but my initial reaction to it is it's still one of those band-aid over like a knife wound, right? Like I don't get it because one of the main problems is pitcher-catcher visits on the mound. It happens too often and that's what needs to change and I know that Major League Baseball is not going to just go straight for the jugular because the players aren't going to like it. They're going to hate that. But there's not another sport in the world where you get as many timeouts as you want. Literally, a catcher could go to the pitcher after every single pitch. That it's banana land. It is bonkers. In my opinion, and you know what makes me the maddest, and this is crazy, and if you're a baseball fan and you've seen your team go through this, you'll understand. Let's say you've let's say you're an Astros fan, games on the line and Carlos Correa's up, and it's a 2-2 count, and all of a sudden, the catcher goes out to the mound and talks to the pitcher on this 2-2 count to go over strategies on how to strike you out. Under any circumstance, a catcher should not be allowed to to go talk to the pitcher mid at bat. That should not be allowed. I do not know why that that's not being talked about at the GM meetings as opposed to a pitch clock. A pitch clock. Like what happens when you have the pitch clock and then the catcher comes out? What does the pitch clock reset? Major League Baseball, they need to tackle this. They need to nip it in the butt. Not the bud, but the butt. This has to be fixed, and they need to attack this problem now. There's always this viewership problem of Major League Baseball as opposed to other sports. The narrative is this. If you ask a friend, oh, like I tell friends all the time I do a baseball podcast, and their response is, oh, I like baseball, but only if it's live. I don't watch it on TV because it's hard to watch. The games last too long, and it's crazy. Every offseason that Major League Baseball comes in and they let the players union, the players, the guys that are paid millions of dollars and know nothing about the business side of this game or about setting this game up for future success, letting them dictate it in every single offseason, asking politely, can, can we do a pitch clock? What about if we like, you know... Don't pitch four pitches on an intentional walk. Cut straight to the point. Attack this. There has to be a limit on how much 
that catcher can go out and see that pitcher. Now, if you want to start with like once an inning, I would be fine with that. Maybe once every other inning. You know, if you have a nine-inning game, maybe only allow six visits. Because these teams prep for these games that they go into. So why in the world? Like, this is a game of skill. You can't just call timeout when stuff's going wrong, right? Like, it's like when I used to pick on my sister when she was a kid, she'd fall limp on the ground. That's the equivalent of what this is. When stuff goes bad, the catcher just falls limp and goes out to the mound. You've got to time this right. You can't just, I mean, I could rant about this forever. I'll stop now. But a pitch clock, a pitch clock's in the right direction for sure. But Major League Baseball needs to be more aggressive with this stuff for sure. Pace of play, it's got to come quicker. The rule changes have to come quicker. And Major League Baseball cannot allow the players' union, yes, you hear me shuffling papers, this is big stuff over here, cannot allow the players' union to just continue on with this madness. Can't happen. On a lighter note, much much lighter note and a much happier note about the beauty, beauty of baseball. Roy Halladay, his memorial service was yesterday. Um, a lot of players went up there and talked. Um, Chase Utley went up there. Uh, Roy Halladay's strength and conditioning coach for the Toronto Blue Jays went up there and talked. Brandy Halladay, Roy Halladay's wife, went up there and talked. It was, it was hard to watch. You know, it really was. I, um, CBS Sports, they uploaded it to YouTube, so I wasn't able to watch it live, but I did watch it um, on YouTube. Chase Utley's, what Chase Utley had to say was really good. He, <laughs> he spoke about the, like one of the first times, maybe this was the first time he met Roy Halladay, I'm not too sure, but it was in spring training, and Chase Utley got to the, uh, he got to the ballpark at 545, and he said that he purposely went to the ballpark early because he wanted to show his teammates that uh, you know, he was ready for the season, that he you know, he meant it, and he was going to bring everything he had. You know, Kind of like a show of, like, I'm the alpha dog here. I'm showing up at 545 to work out. So Chase Sutley said he walked in the facility, and uh, there's Roy Halladay, and he's eating a huge breakfast, and he's soaking wet. He has his workout clothes on, but he's soaked. And Chase says he uh, looked at Roy and said, "Hey man, was it uh, was it raining when you got in?" <laughs> and he said that Roy Halladay chuckled. Roy laughed, got up, shook his hand, and said he had just finished his workout. And that was at 5:45. On top of that, Chase Utley looked at um, looked at Brady Halladay, looked at her two sons, uh, you know, looked him in the eye and said that um, that their dad was the uh, fiercest competitor that he had ever played with. Um, he said, this is what he said exactly. He said, your dad was the best teammate I've ever played with, the most fierce competitor I have ever seen. Then he concluded by saying that the way Roy spoke about his family, that it was obvious that he was more proud of his boys than anything that he had ever done on a baseball field. And just kind of in that moment, you saw, you know, I think you saw just, the power of baseball and what it does to people and what it means to people and how it brings people together. And, you know, families are closer and it's, it's like I said at the beginning of the last episode, you know, baseball is just a powerful thing. And this is kind of one of those things that you watch that you, you can just feel the power of baseball, you know, and it, it brings you to tears and you can see the, uh, 
just generally generationally that's not even a word but from generation to generation how you know baseball is this vehicle to pass along tradition from mom and dad to son and daughter and those sorts of things there were just uh there were a lot of powerful words there um Roy Halladay, strength and conditioning coach, he said that every time he uh, he stretched out Roy before a game, he would say, have a good one, Doc. And that's what he would say. And he closed out his speech by saying, have a good one, Doc. It was super powerful. And then Brandy Halliday got up there and talked. Um, and she just talked about how, uh, how good baseball was to him, you know, everything it brought him. And, you know, not in the sense of, like, money and fame, just as much as... Um, you know, the relationships that baseball created in their lives. And, uh, you know, that was huge. That was huge. And especially nice when Chase Utley thanked the Halliday family for sharing Roy with everybody. If you haven't watched it, if you just Google, um, like, Roy Halliday, it'll come up on YouTube, his whole memorial service, which I think is about an hour and 30 minutes. It's amazing. So that finishes up today's episode of The Greatest Show on Dirt. Just want to thank everybody for listening. We'll have another episode up on Friday. Until then, have an awesome week.